survive and thrive. This is a podcast that brings you stories and perspectives on how leaders and organizations can not only transform to survive, but thrive in change. I'm your host and co-founder of Consinity, Jennifer Ayers. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Survive and Thrive, a podcast that brings you stories and perspectives on how, in changing times, leaders and organizations can not only transform to survive, but thrive. I'm your host, Jennifer Ayers. We're kicking off our podcast series featuring 19 stories and perspectives on how COVID-19 has created an imperative for change and what leaders and organizations are doing to respond to that change. In this episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing two guests, Rick Salerno and Jamie Ahmed. I'll allow these two fine gentlemen to say more about themselves in a moment and share their backgrounds with you, but I want to set some context here as to how I even found out about these two in Cincinnati and me in Philadelphia. Let's go back to early 2020. We've already talked about 2020 bringing quite a bit of turbulence right out of the gate with the wildfires in Australia to Brexit to the impeachment trials. By February, we thought so much had already happened this year, yet we were wrong. Something much more devastating on a global scale was gaining momentum while most of us were trying to live our normal day-to-day lives. Now, it was around this time in March that our company, Consinity, launched an altruistic effort in partnership with AES Controls and with support from Ken Beck of CEO Connect and the marketing branding agency 4x3. We called this team the COVID Rapid Response Team, or CRRT for short. Rick and Jamie were introduced to Consinity through the relationship of one of our advisors, Tom Luby. And apparently, Rick and Jamie were already starting to pivot their business to address a major crisis that was happening at that time, a shortage of respirators. And they needed a team that could jump in to help them with orchestrating all of the moving parts needed to get their solution into the hands of the people who so desperately needed it. So with that, let's get into it. My name is Rick Salerno. I work with Jamie at AES Controls. We are a engineering programming firm that handles custom controls for manufacturing equipment. And I've been working with Jamie for a number of years, and I actually had worked for about 30 years with his dad, Mike. So we had a good relationship going. Hello, I'm Jamie Ahmed, and um, I'm sort of a consummate inventor. And as you mentioned, with all the, the chaos that was ensuing here in, in 2020, I got to realizing through, uh, you know, through the news and, and especially through watching what was going on early in, in New York, that likely ventilators were going to be an issue and that people that were all of a sudden, you know, dying in, in record numbers seemed to be dying from lack of uh, ventilator equipment. So being an inventor and an engineer and altogether a crazy person, I, I decided to see if there's anything that I could do. And uh, quickly came to uh, to the concept of 
taking CPAP equipment, uh, which is, you know, in, in use all around the country for sleep apnea treatment. I think most people are at least vaguely familiar with it and converting that into uh, ventilators. So at a high level, um, I was able to, in short order, uh, demonstrate that this, this was a, a possibility. And I contacted Rick and said, Rick, I, you know, we've got to do something here with our, uh, with our resources and capabilities. And, and that's sort of how it all started. Before the pandemic, AES Controls worked in a variety of industry. Rick explains. We work in a lot of different industries, mostly manufacturing, where we build custom control systems, uh, either computers that run programmable logic controllers, robotics, things of that nature. So as Jamie mentioned, we had a, a staff of qualified people. By March of 2020, the country locked down and many businesses had to completely alter how they were going about their workday. Suddenly, most of us were either unfortunately furloughed or struggling to navigate Zoom and telework with kids. As a nation, we felt suspended in time, waiting to see what would come next. AES Controls, however, experienced a different kind of march. Rick tells me how, despite some adjustments, life at AES Controls kept going. Basically, we were still acting as an ongoing business. We never closed. We were considered an essential business because of a lot of the work we were doing at the time with food manufacturers. So we actually had been moving forward as a regular business day, if you will. Obviously, nothing is regular at that period of time. While the rest of the company continued its essential work, however, Jamie, the chief technology officer, was kept up at night by the numbers of the dying and the news. You know, I almost felt like a calling. I mean, I've being uh, an abnormally, uh, you know, not to toot my own horn, but being sort of an ab abnormal person and that I'm, you know, able to invent things almost on a daily basis. I've always had the desire to to help out, you know, uh, in the world and use it for good. And obviously with this massive pandemic hitting and and seeing all of a sudden all these people dying all over the world. I just felt like that was maybe one such opportunity and, and therefore it kind of felt like a calling for me. So I dug deep into my uh, into my mind and said, you know, you've got to do something here. What, what can you do? And again, the message that I was hearing on the news amongst all the, the chaos and misinformation and disinformation as we now, you know, know in, in hindsight, but the one thing that was pretty clear is that the primary mechanism of death with, with uh, coronavirus, COVID-19, was acute respiratory distress syndrome, ARDS, which requires people to go onto a ventilator in order to, uh, you know, have a hope of recovering from that. So that's kind of what I, what I grasped onto and, and tried to, uh, you know, do something with. Others saw what Jamie saw that people were dying from the acute respiratory distress syndrome caused by the coronavirus, and that there was a massive shortage in ventilators. Companies like Tesla and Ford and other large companies were scrambling to produce ventilators to meet this now nationwide demand. Despite the expansive budget these companies could dedicate to manufacturing ventilators, Jamie saw an immense challenge they would have to face. 
the supply chain for these companies like Tesla and Ford would be strained, highly strained, as their pre-existing technology was not relevant to ventilators. In fact, their supply chains were completely separate from those of a ventilator. Jamie saw a multitude of challenges, but he also started to see a solution. And that's when he went to his sister-in-law's. Prior to COVID-19, AES controls helped build machines in different areas, as Rick said. In fact, AES controls has a proprietary motor control technology, which was extremely relevant to CPAPs and other ventilator machines. One of those machines being the CPAP, which is what is used to help with sleep apnea for individuals so that they can breathe better at night. With this knowledge, Jamie went to his sister-in-law's and opened up her CPAP machine. That's when I realized that it was powered by, you know, a a brushless blower motor. A brushless blower motor happened to be, you know, 100% compatible with our expertise in brushless motor control. And we've, you know, brushless motor control was, was developed for electric vehicles, you know, things like that. But it just so happened that it, it works perfectly with, with a CPAP blower motor as well. So in short order, I had taken all of the guts out of the, the CPAP machine that I got from my sister-in-law and hooked it up to one of our motor controllers. And I was able to take control of that, of that system. And at the end point, at the business end where it connects to uh, a patient, through either a cannula or a mask, I was able to do all sorts of um, things that the normal CPAP machine isn't able to do, like rapidly fluctuate the pressure and, and you know, essentially provide closed loop control over the pressure going into the, the patient. I asked Jamie to further explain the technology. And don't worry, I asked him to try to keep it simple. Maybe without geeking out too much, although I love that, It would be interesting to have you describe a little bit about the solution. Do you mind sharing with so that the uh, average listener might be able to understand what it took to to create this converted uh, ventilator? Oh, no, I don't mind geeking out at all. (laughs) At least a little bit. Don't hurt anyone, Jamie. No, I'll try. I'll try not to. I mean, you you opened you opened the door. I'm gonna walk. There's a Pandora's box. There's a Pandora's box. We can put a lot of details in the notes if we need to, but go ahead, go ahead. Sure. So I I mean, I'll start with the premise that um, you know that our listeners here at least have a a basic concept of uh, what a CPAP machine does, and you know, it's essentially um, a small device that has a blower motor in it. People suffering from sleep apnea put a mask or a, a, a cannula on, you know, at nighttime. And the CPAP machine is designed to just keep their airway open with a, you know, a small amount of pressure so that when um, somebody, you know, stops breathing at night, which is the primary thing about sleep apnea, it sort of incentivizes that their system to, to keep breathing by uh, stimulating it with, with air pressure. And even though that's quite a bit different than the functionality of a ventilator, it obviously has the the commonality that it is forcing air down um, a person's airway. 
Jamie's creativity brought about this new machine, but he was still missing something. He was missing medical knowledge. Jamie then deeply researched what the medical world needed from a ventilator, as well as how they needed to work and what features they needed to offer. So I took that information, you know, put a couple of sensors and microcontroller closed loop intelligence around this, uh, this brushless motor and controller and put a screen in place, essentially convert this thing into a pressure control ventilator. After several iterations and to the point where we have it now, it really is a full-blown ventilator that speaks, uh, you know, that, that sort of walks the walk and talks the talk from a device and programming standpoint with what respiratory therapists expect from a ventilator. That's fantastic. Quite amazing. And uh, what, a, what a brilliant mind. Jamie then went to Rick with what he'd figured out. Rick recounts the story from his perspective. Really, it was Jamie who came to me and said, hey, I want to do something, and I think I have a great idea. He's very modest in the fact that about two o'clock in the morning, I think he texted me and says, this whole, <laughs> this whole thing will work, you know, because it, it started as an idea and, you know, within a few hours and testing and work in the lab, uh, he pretty much had it headed down to the, the work that we're still currently doing today. With Jamie's initiative and AES Controls technology and proprietorship, they now had a working prototype. But... That was just it, a prototype. How are they going to get this device to much-needed hospitals? While Jamie spearheaded the creation of a new ventilator, Rick began working on the relationships. Through Rick's hard work, AES Controls paired up with other businesses to help build connections in the medical world. On Rick's effort, Jamie says, While I was heads down in my, my basement doing the mad scientist thing. <laughs> doing MacGyvering. Right. Um, you know, Rick, uh, Rick really spearheaded the, you know, the communication side of it. And he got, uh, you know, Ken Beck, the CEO of the CEO Connection involved, who he has an existing relationship with. And between the two of them, they started cultivating the relationships. So I would say to get a little bit more specific on, on one hand, Ken got us a connection to a very prominent doctor in New York, who actually is still to this day, um, the head of the COVID response team in at, at least a portion of New York, at least in Brooklyn, if not the entire uh, New York. I don't have, I don't have an exact visibility into that, but that connection came actually through Dr. Oz. Name is uh, Stuart Dijek and he's, he's, He's a very prominent doctor uh, and, uh, you know, is on TV a lot, very much a thought leader. And so he was able to not only help to get word out within his own network, but because of his um, recent, you know, role as a, uh, as a response team leader, he was actually able to also get us involved with a Google response team, you know, and, and, it, and Google has uh, had launched a $200 million initiative to produce ventilators and we were able to speak with that group didn't necessarily pan out but that was one of the first forays into this you know uh, cultivating you know relationships and getting the word out rick was able to get jamie's prototype ventilator in front of real doctors who gave their feedback jamie adjusted the ventilator to optimize their needs 
Additionally, Rick and Jamie were able to link up with the medical centers around the entire country, such as the University of Pennsylvania medical system. Through the network Rick facilitated, they were able to speak to heads of Philips and ResMed, who make up the entire CPAP market in the U.S., if not the world. While the business teams at both companies were ecstatic to collaborate on this new product, their engineers, however, were not quite as thrilled, so it never came to fruition. In interviewing Rick and Jamie, I was touched by their deep appreciation and admiration of each other's diligent efforts at this time. I commend uh, Rick and Ken for uh, for doing that part because I, I was just heads down, you know, geeking out in my basement. If I can just add something, the really important part of this was really Jamie's need to do something. And that not only energized uh, the team at AES to work with him, but it also energized the people we were working with. And I think that really came through as a key component um, in for us to, to keep moving and, and get people involved and get other people wanting to help. And, and that was really instrumental. I myself saw this immense dedication from Rick and Jamie firsthand. I can say that from our perspective, from a Consinity perspective, it was quite amazing to come together and form this group with you, the COVID rapid response team, in an effort early days to get out to key leaders to identify. I remember we needed to identify sterile rooms and the response that we got through all of our connections with some key pharmaceutical companies that had um, and device companies that had the ability to support that. And I think of all of the exploration that we did to find the right type of filters that would be needed, who could supply them, how we could procure them. And it's interesting, I just interviewed Kristen Curtis, and she's going to be, she's one of our uh, featured guests about her experience, because she represented the N95 group with the, we went to her when we were at a point where we had the supplies teed up, we had the solution with, with, you know, thank God to, for you both. And we couldn't necessarily get clear on the demand and where the demand was. Remember, that was like a, a fuzzy point for us. I mean, we had some, uh, we had some solid leads, but we were trying to figure out where should we be focusing and where should our priority be. And, and we got some good feedback from that, but. Point being, it was just remarkable, at least from my perspective, that months prior, I I didn't know either of you. And all of a sudden, we're bringing all of our resources to the table. And it, it didn't matter. It was just, how can we collectively respond to this? How can we get something to the marketplace? It's thrilling to see that kind of movement and ultimately the output from that. But Consinity wasn't the only one who worked with AES controls to help Jamie get the ventilators onto the market. Well, I think as, as Jamie mentioned, uh, Dr. Stuart Dijek, uh over in Brooklyn was really instrumental in that. Uh, he really pushed for us to take it to the next level. Who would who would need it? Who would be involved? Trying to get us the right people for the need. As I mentioned earlier, AES Controls and Consinity faced a similar problem that my first guest, Kirsten, did as well. In the chaos of the early days, it was impossible to pinpoint where supplies were needed. Even if we could connect to a hospital, 
it was difficult to convince them to buy when the marketplace was so full of fraught at that time. As Kirsten mentioned in her episode, hospitals were spending massive amounts of money on supplies only to open up boxes with pool noodles instead of PPE. Jamie states that a lot of the fragmentation in the COVID response effort also has to do with leadership or lack thereof. He says, With this entire thing, and, and still to this day, I mean, there, there's been an incredible lack of leadership in this country and an incredible lack of direction for, you know, answering the question, what the hell should we all be doing right now with this pandemic? You know, a lot of the, the chaos was exacerbated because of that. And I think when trying to figure out things like demand, when you're hearing on TV that demand is completely satisfied because, uh, uh, you know, powers that be are just, you know, have, have just taken care of it. But then on the ground level, you're hearing that there's not even been a been a dent made in the demand and we're dying here and we have we have no supplies. I mean, that level of discrepancy, first of all, it's very maddening, but it, it also created, you know, such a, a an environment of misinformation that figuring things out like what the true demand for filters and ventilators, it, it was really um, impossible. Not, not only difficult, it was it was it was truly impossible. So how did Rick and Jamie actually get ventilators in the hands of doctors, or more importantly, by the bedsides of the patients? Rick and Jamie describe the way they forged through the uncertainty in the early months and how things came together. The discussion was all over the map on what was going to be needed, uh, what demand looked like, and so forth. And uh, really, to Jamie's credit, he just forged forward and said, I have a better mousetrap. And uh, that's really what has kind of fueled this to, to this point. This was this was all happening in such rapid fashion. And, um, you know, I realized that even though I'm not a, uh, a doctor, but my, you know, my early research into, you know, COVID and acute respiratory distress syndrome and how ventilators were needed as is, you know, this was, was not only just a, a, a sort of... Um, you know, a sales and networking exercise. It was also very much a, a, you know, an exercise in raising awareness and educating people, even people in the medical field, to some degree on uh, on some of the things that I had learned. And so I realized that, hey, I might have a knack for uh, for medicine uh, at the end of all this. Yeah, and then a lot of things just sort of happened organically from there. I think people, uh, you know, again, people sort of sensed the urgency. They started to realize that, oh, maybe these guys, you know, maybe actually you know, can help save lives. And I think once people start thinking about this in terms of saving lives and, and being part of that, I think the energy comes out organically in, in people. And, and that's, I think that's sort of a, a, a pivot point. Jamie also highlighted the efforts of our Consinity advisor, Tom Luby, who helped connect Consinity and AES controls in the first place. I was touched by his appreciation of our collaboration. He says... A beautiful thing sort of happened, and, and because there's not even a real explanation on on what exactly happened there, other than we ended up having a conversation with with you, Jen, and uh, and, and Tom, and and Jeff, uh, Jeff Bone, and, and ourselves, and immediately you guys just sprung into action, saying, you know, what can we do to help? What do you need? And at that point, I think what we needed was 
We needed the demand. We needed to figure out, you know, how to get this out there. We needed to get in touch with other hospital systems. And Consinity just was absolutely uh, amazing. And you guys not only, you know, I think started dialing and figuring out between your collective Rolodex is what you could do from a, a networking standpoint, but you guys also stood up a website for us, for, for all of us, and the COVID rapid response team website, and really just stepped right in and filled a big gap in what we were able to do at the time. And I just wanted to, you know, make sure that I came out and gave a plug for that. With the network that Consinity, AES Controls, Kenny Beck, and others built, we were able to jointly identify sources of materials and resources needed not only to be ready for larger production, but to provide alternative sourcing for PPE. Even though the demand seemed to be a moving target, and at times, it was very frustrating and incredibly demanding. But there was a shared understanding that lives were on the line. So we all persisted. Jamie reflects. Wow, as I'm now you know, recollecting all of that, it's, uh, it's, been, a, it's been a truly remarkable experience. So what came of the prototype? Was it just a quality machine built in a short amount of time? Or did it actually save lives like it was intended to? Despite the immediate need, the ventilator needed to pass the FDA's standards. In the beginning of COVID, there was something put in place called the EUA, or the Emergency Use Authorization. This meant that the FDA would allow you to push something through at a rapid pace to meet the needs of the crisis. Instead of expediting the process for companies in their aid to the public, the EUA didn't always quite work out that way. But... How would they know? In the beginning, no one knew much about this virus and what would help and what would hurt. However, the FDA let through a plethora of devices and machines and systems with not too much testing. What actually happens now in hindsight is that some very, very careless mistakes were made uh, on the FDA's part, and they approved and sort of allowed right through some devices and solutions that were no good at all. and harmful to patients. So when Rick and Jamie contacted the FDA, filled out the EUA, and sent through Jamie's ventilator, the FDA had already clamped down on the process completely, allowing this time very little through. Rick and Jamie sent the ventilator through for review by mid-March, and by then it was too late. Their device is still in the process of being approved, And speaking with other reputable teams that sent devices through back in March, they have also not had much luck. The emergency use authorization process was, and still is, no longer a rapid response. While we're still in such unprecedented times as this pandemic rages on, those early months caused much confusion but even more creativity. I asked Rick and Jamie to reflect on that moment, the moment in which they needed to pivot amongst the chaos and the trials and the successes that have come with that. A large part of it was it was already in our wheelhouse of expertise. We're a 32-year-old company, so we've seen a lot of things over the years. We've been involved in a lot of projects. We have expertise in microcontrollers. So all of this really fell in place that it was kind of natural for our company 
to pivot and move into that direction really once Jamie had worked out a solution on, on how this would work. Despite the challenges they faced with the FDA, they now have a whole advisory board that's helping them progress through the system. Despite challenges, Jamie's ventilators have still been used to save lives. Rick and Jamie recount what came of it. Most of the units that we've produced were for testing. Like Jamie mentioned, and and you did as well, Jennifer, the demand was really hard to figure out. So we worked on really the product itself and what that can do to really get, get an opportunity to save some lives. Yeah, I think the extent to which it's been used thus far is, you know, primarily testing with Mamamanid's hospital system, which is where Dr. Stuart Dychek, um resides, and then also the University of Pennsylvania, and also um, Harvard University, who had an enormous uh, initiative around trying to build ventilators. All three of those did some extensive testing where they did a couple of very limited uh, patient trials with non-critical, non-ICU patients um, who were able just sort of, you know, breathe on the machine for a short period of time. They themselves breathed on the machines and provided a lot of feedback. University of Pennsylvania has a top of the line and, you know, extremely expensive um, artificial lung system um, that is actually used to calibrate, test, and develop ventilation equipment. And they have set this machine up um, and done some extensive testing on that. In addition, Rick points out their relationships with doctors now and how that has improved the machine. We're still working with a number of uh, respiratory doctors who are very excited about this product. Actually, Jamie, being modest, it actually works better than anything that's in the industry right now. And we've talked to a number of different doctors that have evaluated it and are currently evaluating it. And we plan on moving forward with uh, the next generation. Uh, We've gotten a lot smarter over time and learned a lot of things. And there still seems to be a need there for this device. The need for Jamie's ventilators has evolved with our understanding of the virus. In fact, Jamie has created something even better. As Rick said, he's invented a better mousetrap. When we first got involved in this, Everything was moving to a a mass unit type of environment. Hospitals were building tents outside for the overflow of people. Uh, Here in Cincinnati, they took over the convention center and put 500 beds in there. So the original concept of our uh, ventilator was really to work in those type of situations where the hospitals were going to be overwhelmed, the situation was going to be overwhelmed, and there just would not be enough ventilators to, to keep people alive. So that was really the first premise that we moved forward with under those kind of guidelines that that everybody had talked about would happen. So we've evolved, uh, the product has evolved over time uh, to more of a conventional type ventilator that we think is is superior to a lot of those that are out there. Great point, Rick. Maybe I know we've just got a few minutes remaining here, but just briefly, if you could comment on why your solution is superior. Well, I'll let Jamie comment on that without trying to get too geeky, right, Jamie? Sure. Having iterated on this device several times and, and primarily by getting amazing feedback from our, our partners at University of Penn and, uh, 
and from Mamanides with uh, in, in New York. We now have a device that categorically kind of resides in the portable slash you know transport slash emergency ventilator. Uh, so which is which is an established category in these medical devices. And some of the incumbent uh, leading devices in that category, of, of which there are not not a lot, are extremely expensive in the you know the twenty twenty thousand dollar price point even on the low end. Our product has evolved to essentially providing all of the functionality um, that those devices can provide in a uh, a rugged um, you know single enclosure that is easily and quickly deployed by just tossing it up onto a uh, a table or, or near a patient and plugging in a source of power. So we've been able to really, really make it logistically efficient. The output display now has it has fully functional waveforms that display pressure, flow, and volume. It's got a full suite of alarming. And, and more or less, we've been able to achieve a very high level of, of functionality and, and a very very easy to use, rugged device uh, at a price point that absolutely eclipses the devices that are out there. So that really, I think, sort of sums it up and have identified an enormous number of alternative applications that this may be able to be used for. Wow. What a remarkable story from a company that is literally helping people not only survive, but ultimately thrive. I look forward to keeping engaged with their progress. And just before we wrap up, here's how you can find Rick and Jamie for more information. Yeah, they can reach us uh, either through our website, aescontrols.com. You know, they can email us. My email is rsalerno at aescontrols.com. Jamie's is jamed at aescontrols.com. And we're happy to discuss this situation or any kind of assistance that people can provide. Thank you, everyone, for listening and joining our episode this week of Survive and Thrive. Remember, at Considity, we empower the conscious leader to realize positive and sustainable change. Until next time, don't just survive, thrive.